Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour. I am your host, Randy Sutton, a retired police lieutenant with 34 years law enforcement experience, the author of A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. I'm also the founder of the organization called The Wounded Blue. Wounded Blue is the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers and nationwide charity. Well, uh, if you don't know, and this is your first time tuning in, this show is dedicated to the health of both the physical health and the emotional health and also the spiritual well-being of America's law enforcement officers. And it is brought to you by the Wounded Blue and a couple of great sponsors, which I will happily talk about during the course of this show. And of course, we always have a great guest waiting for us. But before we bring him in, I want to do what's called our reality check. I am happy to report that this week, there were no line of duty deaths in law enforcement. Uh, it's probably one of the rare weeks that, uh, that I've been able to say that. So we celebrate that. However, um, unfortunately, there have been uh, 40, 45 killed this year so far. And also, um, the shootings of law enforcement officers continue at a steady pace of almost one a day, which is absolutely shocking. Uh, last year, more than 60,000 law enforcement officers were physically assaulted in the line of duty. That means they were shot, they were beaten, they were stabbed. Uh, they were physically assaulted, hit with bricks, hit with rocks, uh, 60,000. That's an astounding number. And the violence continues, uh, and uh, it, it continues unabated. So the, the job is exceedingly dangerous, both physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And that's why we bring this show to you on the America Out Loud Network. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest to you, Dr. William Lionberger. And I'm going to tell you how I met Dr. Lionberger in the weird way that fate works, that somehow our paths met in the beautiful town of Jerome, Arizona. I was there taking a couple days off, visiting some friends. And uh, Jerome, Arizona is uh, maybe... 45 minutes an hour away from Phoenix. It's a old mining town and it is a very cool town. Great place. Uh, it's, it's a little out of the way. You can actually overlook Sedona from certain vantage points in the, in the town. And it has a small police department. And Dr. William Lionberger is one of those police officers. And uh, we got to talking. And he is doing some amazing work, uh, and he's a, he's a, got he's got some great stories to tell us. So, without further, let's bring in Dr. William Leinenberger. Bill, thank you so much for joining me here at the Wounded Blue Hour on the America Out Loud Network. Well, it's nice to be here, Randy. Thanks for having me on. Um, there's a lot of interesting things going on in the world, things that we can talk about, um, things that we know about. And I'm excited to bring some of that information. Just a little caveat. Um, this is not a representation of my department. 
it's a representation representation of the work that I do as a doctor outside of that work. So exactly anyway. right. So I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of the bio um, that uh, that Bill has. Graduated from prestigious Cleveland Chiropractic College in Los Angeles in 1981. That's a long time, Bill. Long time. Just saying, just saying. Um, he's been a, a, a peer-reviewed doctor for the state of Hawaii. He's got a just a, a, a huge CV. Um, presently is the clinic director for a multidisciplinary practice in Vista, California. He's published in his field and developed software systems for forensic report writing for doctors. He is one of the original America's frontline doctors, and that is committed to maintaining the physician-patient relationship in the face of government encroachment. And this is one of the things we're going to really talk about in depth. He is the founder of guardiansofhumanitieschildren.org. Uh, he is an active guy. Bill, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join me here and uh, imparting some of the amazing uh, knowledge that you have and uh, your, uh, your commitment to law enforcement. So first of all, you've been a police officer for 12 years. Um, let's, right. talk, let's talk about what got you into police work. Well, you know, it was always something I was interested in doing. Um, and I finally got to a place in my practice where I could actually take the six months time frame, um, approach um, a department and request being put through the academy. Um, and it, for me, it's kind of a give back to the community. I feel like I have an amazing amount of different things that I can bring to the, to the, to the job in terms of experience, temperament, um, you know, and I just felt like it would be something that, I, that would be useful all the way around and a give back for me to the community, and that was my plan. And fortunately for me, I, I was, um, uh, it was agreed that I could do that. I was the oldest person to ever <laughs> attempt the Full Stress Academy at 52. And so it was kind of my either do it or don't do it because you're, you know, you're going to be too old at some point, right? And so I entered the, the Full Stress Academy, uh, took six months off, had my staff run the office. And um, as the old guy, what was funny is they put me in the front of the class because they thought I couldn't see. And they wanted to pretty much <laughs> see if they could drum me out because I was the old guy. But what they didn't realize is I've been involved in extreme sports my whole life. I built the longest running extreme sports company in the United States. These are 500 mile long races. And so um, I was going to be up for the challenge. And so. I graduated from NARDA um, with honors, uh, 4.0. I set the bar high for the um, the new the oldest guy. I think I tied the academy sit-up record, which you know was kind of nice. And um, <laughs> off, off I went. Right, the new plebe on the block. Uh, you know, starting off, you know, the first couple of years, right, is where you be, you know you learn how to walk and talk in, in the world. But along the way, it's been an amazing experience. Um, I work with great professionals. I have a great chief to work for, um, which is nice to say because not everybody can say that. Um, and it's just been an amazing experience to be able to help people in all kinds of ways and use the skill sets that I have. And I do it to this day. So um, I, I feel very fortunate to have that. And then also have the perspective of that work 
as I bring it to the other side of healthcare and also the side that we deal with, which is our fight against medical tyranny and the other parts and pieces that we're dealing with, which we can get into. So, um, but it's been an amazing, you know, career. It's not something I'm going to get a, get a, um, you know, uh, 20 year out of, but it's something that every day, literally every day, people come up and, and uh, appreciate the service that we all put in to help our, you know, our brothers and sisters. So anyway, uh, that's kind of a short on it. Well, you know, going through the police academy at any age is uh, very challenging. Uh, and and I, I just for the for the listeners and the viewers, when when Bill referred to a full stress academy, um, there are there are different kinds of police academies now. There are uh, no stress academies, which are basically college campuses and college courses. But the old, old school, like the ones I went to, both in New Jersey and here in Las Vegas, were st full stress academies. That's where it's, it's uh, uh, run like a military boot camp, along with all right. of the academics, too. So it's, it's particularly challenging uh, for uh, for anybody, but especially uh, a gentleman of, of uh, uh, 52 to um, to enter that academy. So that's uh, that was a great challenge. I'm sure that you were up for the task considering your athleticism. And clearly, as uh, as a as a doctor, the academic portion of it was probably was probably uh, not something that was really all that rough for you. Well, you know, uh, you might think that, but when you have to test at 80%, practically every test, you've got to be at that or higher, um, it, it's not a joke. And the memory, uh, the memorization is critical. I mean, you, gotta, you know, we have thousands and thousands of laws to remember, understand, you know the basics of and basically you're, you're learning like an attorney does because you're going to be the ones that have to make those decisions in a split second and the attorneys get what do they get months to figure it out we have a split second to figure it out so um you know you can't you, you got to go through it with a real focus of intent and i would have to say that it was one of the most challenging things i've ever done when you put it all together so um yeah definitely for sure, for sure. And uh, I want to do a shout out to your chief as well. I had the uh, pleasure of uh, spending some time with him in Jerome. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I understand why you respect and like him, because he is a real deal chief of police. Um, I really yeah. enjoyed spending time with him as well. And I think that, that, that you know, you, you're working in a town that is predominantly, I think you're, the, the predominant um, environment would be considered tourism, would it not? It is. We've got the oldest town in, in, in all of U.S., um, oldest Western town of its kind, but we get every kind of situation. We get everything that goes on. We get the bikers that come in from, you know, all around, you know, our state and around the country. Um, we get every kind of scenario because we're kind of a squeeze point between two, two um, areas in our state. And so we get to see pretty much everything. But also in a small department, as you know, what, 70% of the departments are small? Um, we're very small, and so you have to do everything. You don't have a department for this, department for that. You know, it's you're it. And so most of the um, officers are EMTs. 
We're also tech rescue experts. We're the ones that go over the side and basically rescue people when they need to be rescued if they crash on the mountain. Um, so multi, um, multitasking is important, and our chief is is um, very good at making sure that you know his officers are trained. And we have you know trainings all the time, and we teach that stuff. So he teaches teaches um, uh, rope rescue. And um, I think that we're one of the premier uh, groups around that do that. So, and it's exciting and fun to do. You know, if you're going to do something, do it, do something you enjoy, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, the, it's every, every police agency has its own challenges, has its own culture. Uh, but it's, it's interesting when, you, I mean, we used to call it one county, one Mountie. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're it. You know, back, backup isn't 30 seconds away like it is in, in some of the major cities. So you got to take care of business. Uh, and, right. uh, and, and so there's, there's challenges there. So let's switch from your police career, although much of what you do also touches on, on uh, policing, especially as it comes down to, you know, the, um, the, the vaccinations that, that were ordered by many, many police agencies, in fact, uh, you know, for the, for the COVID uh, insanity. And there were cops that lost their jobs because they, they didn't want to get the, the, uh, the jab. And so let's talk about your activism in that particular area. So there's a lot there to unpack. In the very early days, those of us that were practitioners were trying to figure out, well, what do we have here, right? Um, all of a sudden, from when from zero to, you know, everybody's got to be vaccinated and there's this pandemic that, you know, nobody seems to see in their offices. Um, the stories that you see on the national news from the beginning till now, you have to be very careful what you believe and you have to be careful of what you see. What, what our experience has shown us from then till now um, is something completely different than what you'll see on the national news. And so, you know, I began to look around to see, well, you know, who else is seeing what I see? And then I discovered um, a Dr. Simone Gold, who was the founder of the America's Frontline Doctors, who had been fired from her job um, for, you know, wanting to, to basically take care of her patients in the way that she sought fit etc. And we struck up a um, communication. I was invited to join America's Frontline Doctors, which I did. And we began to speak out against um, what was being told because it didn't match what we knew. And so we were the ones that went to the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court and the white lab coats were the ones that began to give press conferences and speak on all these issues and began to try to pull it together so that people began to get other viewpoints which is what science is all about. We get other viewpoints. We don't silence other viewpoints like they were trying to do, which is a psyop. We don't do that. What we do is we try to invite those and we try to look at the, the preponderance of evidence, right? Just like in, in um, law enforcement to help derive and come to a conclusion that makes sense. We don't try to snuff out everybody's opinion because we have a different agenda for humanity. And so that kind of brought me into that, that arena. Along the way, you know, being introduced and in, in meeting the top scientists, doctors around the world, we learned a lot. I work with some of the top attorneys in the world, um, and we were running into this one really important problem also, and that was that people could not escape the jab. 
they were being forced into this tyranny in every kind of way, shape, and form. My particular background is in the area of forensics, and I spent decades going to court teaching judges, juries, and attorneys in my field. And um, I said, well, we can take that and we can assemble a team and figure out how we can protect these people. And that's what we did. In the very early days, we came up with a plan to do that. We worked on building the team of doctors and attorneys to build out medical exemptions for those. And then we ran into the medical establishment that was doing everything that it could to attack doctors, to attack their ability to help patients. And that wasn't just in the United States, that was all around the world. And so we had to figure out how we dealt with that as well. And doctors were being fired from top positions in hospitals and things like that because um, they weren't following the pharma mandate. Pharma is exceedingly powerful and the people above that are exceedingly powerful. And they wanted to make it clear and send a clear message to everybody that we're not going to allow anybody to escape and we're not we're going to come after you if you try to help those patients. A good example of that right now is the laws that are going on in California where they've created this sort of funnel to further scrutinize and discriminate against people. And so we've been in that fight from the very beginning. We've been evolving that product. We bring federal protections. And it's Can, through our federal let, let me let me let me stop you there for a second. Can you explain a little bit about that law? I am unfamiliar with it. So um, basically what what they so the governor in that state took a bunch of money, let's put it that way, from pharma, and he's been pushing you know vaccines on everybody every everything that walks and crawls basically in that state and does pharma's bidding every which way that they can but they learned along the way that um they wanted to make sure they could close any loophole for people to have the ability to escape either any regular vaccine or any um covid jab because we call them vaccines because they're not um, and so they they worked to create some new laws so that you had to come through this funnel of approval to further, um, one, track the doctors. The doctor said they write more than five. Now they're on the list and then they are contacted and then they can have their license up for you know, grabs, if, if you know what I mean. Um, and so that, not only that, but also then um, tracking the people that are trying to obtain a valid medical exemption for a medical reason, okay? In other words, it's called negative efficacy. When you are taking something that's more dangerous than the theoretical thing you're trying to protect against, right? Which is the jab. Right, right. You need the ability to, you need an out for that, right? You can't just say, no, no outs for you. It doesn't matter how, how bad your medical condition is or how much you might risk, which is your life, okay? And so um, they're working in every way that they can to close down any potential. What they don't know from our perspective until they run into us is we bring federal protections that trump them all. And so we're working to educate them there. We bring those protections and we're also eventually going to create, we hope, case law that will end their ability to bring that kind of tyranny to the people in that state. Because, you know, they come to us and they're just literally distraught in every kind of way saying, I've talked to every doctor, I'm kicked out of the office, I can't basically um, uh, get what I need until they run into our group of doctors. So anyway. Okay, so that, that, that gives me a little a little more knowledge about what your what your group does. Um, let's talk about about how did you become so involved in 
this arena? You know, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. When we were being told people were dying all over, we didn't lose a patient. When we were being told that we couldn't use therapeutics, that we couldn't use ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, we couldn't use vitamin D, vitamin C, we're like, you would always use those things for a rhino COVID virus. Why 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 wouldn't you? And then why would you tell and threaten the doctors? not to be able to help their patients. None of it rang true. None of it was was real um, as we discovered along the way, and it was all for a different reason, and that was to control the population in ways that we don't, you know, that is a much bigger conversation. But um, at the end of the day, um, you know, that put me on alert, and through the entire um, pandemic, um, we didn't lose anybody. And the doctors, we had managing over 5,000 patients, and the doctors that we work with across the country didn't lose anybody. We were basically treating. We weren't doing amazing things. We were doing basic things and maybe ramping them up and then working on the protocols to tighten them up and really pump up people's immune systems. But over time, these are basic things. Vitamin D, you know what I'm saying? Vitamin C mitigates a cytokinin storm, and they were complaining of people were dying of cytokinin storm activity. Check again, they were dying from ventilator death and the, pro the processes that they were given in hospitals and, and the things that we learned along the way. So, <clears throat> so this, you know, what you're, what you're saying um, in, in the, the larger conversation is that this entire, I like the, your term, pandemic, um, was a big con from the beginning. Can you kind of break it down for us? Um, what what possible motivation is there to um, inflict this on on a population? Well, the motivation goes above pharma. Um, the globalists, and you're going to hear this from other people that are really um, knowledgeable in all of the players and parts and pieces, but they're, they're very upfront about depopulation. And depopulation is a very clear piece of their objective. The pharmacological pathway is, is one of those pathways, um, and we look at this as a test. This was a PSYOP. Most people don't know that this was actually a military operation, and it's actually a military countermeasure. So pharma was working under the DOD, and this is a military countermeasure. How do, how do you develop a potential new, um, call it, they're calling it a vaccine, or a new treatment to something within less than a year, when something takes eight to 12 years or more? You can't do that unless you've already been doing it. But they were speaking about this, talking about this, and this is an, an expression of what they were planning to do, the they of them. And there are a lot of people behind the scenes that spend hundreds of millions of dollars to make sure their names don't come to light, but they are behind this. Um, and so what did, what did Pfizer and the FDA recently say that they made? Just a financial gain was $100 billion um, on this boondoggle, $100 billion, okay? They've never seen that kind of money. So you've got the financial gain on one side. Before they launched this, or this was launched, actually pharma was in the dumper. They were losing money. 
They were they were um, in in trouble in a lot of ways, and a lot of the pharma companies were. And this actually brought them back, obviously. Um, and that's a piece of the puzzle. But I don't believe it's the overriding piece. Depopulation is a huge factor here. And it's the driver of the money behind the scenes and the players behind the scenes that have made it clear that this is what they want to do. They want to eliminate 90% of the population. So, All right. That's, that is uh, a stunning um, that's a stunning thing to say. When you, when you refer to they, who is they? Well, you know, the, the common, you know, you hear the Bill Gates of the world and, the, and those people, the people that speak at Davos, um, and they're very clear about the one world order. But in, when you get into the, the, the language of it and you get into the, their discussions um, that aren't always behind the scenes, part of their plan is depopulation. And it has been that way for a long time. And they've been very clear about discussing it. And they pull the strings and, and are like the marionettes behind this, the, the uh, scene, if you will, of, of directing a lot of how this all goes. And when you go and you get into the meat of it and you follow these people, they've done things around the world that, that are horrific and been involved in bringing vaccines to other countries that have, been, that have involved great numbers of deaths and injury and um, in the development of some of these kinds of, of products. And um, the scientists that are not part of the group that pharma controls will speak about this, and those are the people that we work with and talk with and learn from, will say that this thing is a bioweapon. It is a bioweapon. It was designed and developed under the, uh, you know, within with our DOD in, in the mix as well. And Wuhan is not the only location, and while it's a nice of a red herring to keep throwing it in that direction, there are multiple universities and many locations around the world where gain-of-function is worked on, and so um, it's not just that piece that you see in the news. Also, listen to the well, parroting in the national let, news. Let me let me well, stop there. We we have we have to take a hard break right now, but I want to get sure. back and then I want to ask you about. I keep on hearing that term gain of function. I've never understood what it means. So after the break, let's talk about that. Fight in the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, 
one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rex nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. One Nation Coffee. One Nation Coffee. Patriotic, uh, veteran-owned, uh, very, very good coffee. I w- actually went down and visited their roasting facility and met with the folks down there, uh, John and his crew, and they are amazing people. The coffee is delicious. You order it online. They bring it right to your house. You can get the ground coffee. You can get beans. I like to grind my own. They've got uh, also got these, uh, you know, the the containers that you put in your Kerrig or whatever that thing is called. So um, One Nation Coffee. Go to OneNationCoffee.com. Order your coffee, and uh, you'll get great coffee, and you'll be supporting uh, a patriotic company that supports the Wounded Blue. So uh, go to OneNationCoffee.com. You know, the safety of our law enforcement officers is my primary concern. It's the reason that this that this pr- program exists, um, and the safety can encompass a lot of different a lot of different uh, items. So, of course, we have physical safety, we've got emotional safety, but also your peace of mind as a law enforcement officer is also important. And I want to tell you about a product called OfficerPrivacy.com. It was pointed out to me by the owner of this company, who's a retired uh, police officer, uh, who's big in the tech sector, how easy it is to comb the internet and find out all kinds of information, including where you live. Now, that makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, every police officer knows that this is the age of doxing, where, where you know, five or six years ago you never even heard that term, but but there's a lot of trolls out there, and they can find out about you and your family. So what OfficerPrivacy.com does, they employ nothing but former police officers who have have this amazing. Uh, program that where they will actually go into the internet and spend hours um, removing your information from the internet. I don't know the ins and outs of how they do it, but I know they do it because they removed more than 36 uh, um, uh, resources that, that were on the internet about where I live. My address. So 
This is something that, that I believe every police officer should take a look at. It's not expensive. Uh, the folks over there at officerprivacy.com are really, really committed to what they do. So check it out, officerprivacy.com, and uh, and you know you want that peace of mind. I know that I do. Check it out, officerprivacy.com. Let's uh, bring Bill back in. All right, Bill. That term, gain of function. I've heard it about five thousand times over this right. over this COVID insanity. What does it mean? Well, in a nutshell, you're you're giving something the ability it didn't have before. So if you had a virus that would never escape the zoological pathway from an animal human, right? Um, and, and that particular pathogen could be deadly or dangerous to a human, but it can't make that jump because it can't it can't infect a human in its current state. When you use something like CRISPR technology or other um, to alter and change its genetic function and or its ability to infect a human, it's gaining a function or gaining an ability to do something it couldn't do before. And therein lies the reason why that the U.S. passed um, a, a sort of a, a, a law that you couldn't do gain of function in the U.S. Now, when they did that, they um, didn't, or they did allow the ongoing gain of function to continue. It was only going to be the new gain of function that they were going to stop, supposedly. So a lot of things were able to continue, um, even though they were already moved off, off supposedly off our um, U.S. soil into other places like Wuhan and other countries um, around the world so that they could escape that requirement to not do gain of function in the U.S. Okay, okay. That, <laughs> so, that, yeah. that, that is the clearest. Uh, I mean, I literally have been waiting to, to ask somebody about what that meant. So I'm really, I'm glad you're on the show today because that clears up something that I just was a mystery to me. Right. So. So, you know, um, let's talk about, about you, you know, what you're doing with American Frontline Doctors. That's, I, I know that that's a, that's a passion of yours. Can you ex explain that a little bit more? So, you know, I it's kind of like a, remember the truckers in Canada, right? And they finally had enough and they finally made a statement and they made that all across Canada and we helped um, truckers from Canada to actually have the ability to travel into the U.S. and other Canadians when they wouldn't let us, when they wouldn't let you come in normally, you can come in from the southern border no matter how you want to come in, but you can't come in with a passport without somebody showing a vaccine card, right? Anyway, the American Frontline Doctors, I believe, started a movement that, that didn't exist. We were the targets. We were the ones that said, okay, enough. And what has what I view as transpired from them, because I'm not representing them in this conversation, but um, is those doctors, we've all gone on to take that platform, take that exposure, and take our areas of expertise and build on that to speak on podcasts. I was on a podcast a few weeks ago that reached out to over 40,000 Canadians with information that they felt they found interesting and helpful. And um, we do that all the time. And I believe most of the doctors that 
I've, I was fortunate enough to work with in America Frontline doctors have gone on to do their areas of passion and expertise. The AFLDS continues to have its missions and the doctors that work with that. Um, we have expanded on that and we've built our own organizations in our areas of passion and we moved on past that, if you will. Um, still an American frontline doctor, but you know our mission is, is very tailored to the medical legal, which is um, uh, what we focus on every day. So, um, but they, I believe they were, they were um, the spark, if you will, that began so many movements. When you see the undercurrent of shows now that, that on, are on podcasts and talking, we have surpassed the national news, okay? We're bigger than they are. And people are recognizing that you can't get the truth from the national news. <laughs> when you look at the national news today, and you see that, you know, the exact sentence is said from every news agency in the exact same way, you know that they're getting their talking points from somebody, right? Sure. Whether it's the Soroses of the world or the or the, the, the owners that are all collectively on one side of a narrative. But that's certainly not about the truth. It's about um, propaganda at this point. And so getting the truth, it's one of the questions that patients that we talk to every day say, how do I get the truth? You have to go to other places for the truth that are people that are digging for that information, bringing it out, giving you those sites and resources, not restricting you. Why did Elon Musk all of a sudden come on the scene and then change everything as it relates to Twitter? It's all about telling the truth. It's all about non-censoring people in the way that they were. And all of a sudden now you can begin to see and get the truth that we couldn't get before because you see that so many other mechanisms and agencies that you think you could or thought you could trust were involved in trying to censor the rest of us from getting real information, right? You know, let's speak the piece that people don't want to talk about. It's the silent piece. It's the real piece. The censorship shouldn't go on, shouldn't have gone on. We should be able to question and challenge all of this. That's what we get to do as, you know, humans, right? And that shouldn't be ever brought into question or challenged unless you're in some other kind of, you know, society, the CC, you know, the Chinese Communist Party or in Russia or some other place where you don't have those freedoms. Here we have those freedoms. And there's something else I want to talk about at some point. It has to do with how law enforcement may be challenged again in the future. We talk about masking, right? And we were all forced to mask up. The reality is then we had over 40 studies that proved and showed the masks were useless. They were nothing more than little spittle containers and all doctors knew that, yet they were complicit. Now we have over 100 studies proving and showing not only that, but the pathology, the, da the danger, the damage, the damage to the children, all of the bad problems that we had by um, masking when it was absolutely worthless. A virus is 0.1 size micron, 0.1 micron. These masks and all masks, unless you're all the way to a air-forced level four containment system, according to OSHA, won't stop a virus. And they were never designed to. And all of that was about taking away people's freedoms and another agenda. And I hope that we become smarter along the way to know that when we're challenged with this next one, which we're being told is coming, that we're smart enough to know that those measures are worthless and we need to begin to question everything in ways we didn't before. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because uh, I, was, I was watching some of the reports that came out where police officers were tasked 
with enforcing mask mandates. These aren't laws. These are edicts. And yet I saw, much to my dismay, that there were actually arrests being made for, for these mask mandates. And I was thinking to myself, what this does, this puts police in an untenable position that they are being tasked with, with basically um, following an illegal order. And yet right. there were some guys that went out there and actually did it, uh, which, which just blew my mind. So, you know, this, talk to me about what your, what your viewpoints are on that. Well, let me take you back to the academy. So you remember when we had stop and approach in the early days of the academy where you, you finally make it far enough along and now they're going to test your skill set, right? And for some of the folks in stop and approach, they were given a bad cop. And so the bad cop was going to come in and do something and you were supposed to observe it and they were going to absorb your reaction to somebody doing something that they shouldn't be doing, right? Now, as police officers, we swear an oath to the Constitution. We don't swear an oath to these other things that come along the way because of this, that, or the other supposed pandemic or whatever. We swear an oath to the Constitution and all the parts and pieces therein. And so when we observe something that isn't right, when we see something that um, isn't based in, and you don't have to know the science, right? You don't have to know all that. You just have to know that this doesn't look right. Anytime something do doesn't look right, you need to question that. And while you know we're trained to not question command, and these things come down from command, um, at the end of the day, you, you know there are officers that questioned it. There are some officers that got fired for it. There are departments that came out and made it very clear we will never um, arrest anybody for that because they got it and they weren't gonna waste their time on things that they knew were wrong. And then you had departments that were running a political whatever, maybe, and were doing that. So you're kind of all across the board. But when you come back to the basics, you know, we have a certain responsibility that we all have, and we swear that to the Constitution. And that's, I believe, where we need to derive our power and our focus from, and not some of these edicts that are not based in, in reality, if that makes sense. You you said something a minute ago that um, that concerns me. You said another one's coming. What do you mean? Yes. Well, those of us that I call us working inside the system, you will. We have whistleblowers in every facet of this thing, from scientists from J and J or from Pfizer or whomever. We've got whistleblowers that were. Um, nurses coming out and talking about how they were killing people on a daily basis, no question about it. We have whistleblowers that um, talk about this, but then the other side also talks about it. Now, come back to the history. The history is that what was told in the early days by Fauci when Trump took office, right? He said he will face a pandemic in his presidency and made it like the first couple of days, right? Well, how would he know such a thing? Why would he make such a statement in such a bold way? Because he knew things that we didn't know, right? You don't just come out and say a thing like that. That's, you know, you can go look it up if Google's not suppressing, which it's always doing. But you can go look it up. 
right? Um, at the end of the day, they telegraph this. We already know, they're already discussing it. Tedros, right, of the WHO, he basically is the director general, and they're already talking about the next pandemic and trying to prep the worn out public from this you know, viral thing, because everybody's worn out from it, trying to prep everybody that another one's coming. The reality is that on the inside, what we know as the pathogenicity of what they have planned is much greater than the, the PSYOP test that they gave us. What we learned along the way is the deaths and injuries from what they called COVID-19 were identical to the flu up to age 74. That means that what happened, the flu didn't go away, they renamed it. And we know the parts and pieces and how that happened. But at the end of the day, um, what the things that they have planned are a much greater potential pathogen. What is our, what is our current administration trying to do right now? Give away what? Our sovereignty in an agreement so that when the, the WHO or other decide that we're in a medical you know, pandemic, that they change the definition for, that they can now take over and control all countries. That's what they're trying to do. Now we have a lot of legislators that are trying to fight that, but we have an administration that's trying to make that happen. Who in this country would ever believe that your constitutional rights were set aside by something outside the US, right? Think about that's, when that and if that would happen. That's that's it's um it's like something out of a out of a uh, a movie that uh but so I want to ask you a, a particular question. Um I was talking to a New York state legislator who um came out with a startling comment and he said that the state of New York has built has built compounds um, for use in the event of a pandemic and that these are essentially concentration camps that they have right. actually built in New York State and funded. Have, is this something that you've heard? It's not only heard. Some of the attorneys that I work with are tracking this very carefully for a lot of different reasons. And they're working to get some of that information out as best that they can. Part of it is they wanna get that information out to law enforcement, right? Because here's the deal. Um, there are plans for, if you have a bad, let's just say that they, they say we've now got another pandemic and the kill rate is like Marburg or hemorrhagic fever, which is one of the ones that they're planning. Um, if they were to launch that, um, 75 to 80% of the population could perish. That's, that's beyond huge. When we just dealt with a supposed pandemic, which was identical to the flu. And so the magnitude of that is really hard on a scale. It's hard to even man, you know, imagine, but at the end of the day, that's not the only location in the U S where they've been building these things. And, you know, people want to come out with a conspiracy theory comment all the time about anything that they don't know much about because you know, they watch the national news and think they know something and when they really don't. At the end of the day, what's the story? If if they say it's a conspiracy, wait five minutes like the weather and it will be, be the truth, right? But bottom line is um, they are being constructed. Just think about it. If you won't comply and you won't take the next death jab, what are they going to do with you? 
you're now you know one of those people that they you know that they can round up and they can put in a compound until you agree to take something that you don't want to agree to right how are they going to get um people in the u.s to do that to other citizens it's very hard you know we know there's a lot of u.n um uh, presence in the united states that we haven't seen in the past also in the military they sent around a a um questionnaire to the officers, we have copies of it, asking the officers, if there was a, a theoretical pandemic and we needed you to do a thing, would you actually, um, you know, they list up a bunch of things that you would do to, to your citizens to get a sense about what that litmus test would be. And they learned that, you know, our officers in uniform really weren't gonna support it very well. And so we know that they're looking outside the US um, and, and it's a very complex, complex story, but at the end of the day, those things are being developed and they have the ability to do that. And it's in locations around the country. And again, it's not a conspiracy theory because, um, you know, we have a lot of information that, that supports it. But it's not my area of expertise. It's just what I've, you know, I, I've run across as I deal with the attorneys and people that get that information. So Sure. Anyway. <clears throat> I was watching a, um, a video. And I found it very interesting. It came from uh, a uh, an embalmer, a, a mortician. Yeah. And this mortician came out and said that they had discovered while embalming bodies that there were uh, that they were that their veins were very, very that there were clots in the people's veins which they discovered at a level that they never ever expected and that the they it was their it was their uh theory that this was caused by the covid vaccination is this something that you've heard not only heard we were tracking it from the very beginning when when the very few intrepid embalmers <coughs> pardon me and folks were singing and talking about it the first thing that they said is that we've never seen this ever <clears throat> until the COVID jab came on the scene. And they can track it directly to the beginning of when messenger RNA technology was being put in humans. And a lot of scientists and doctors have been breaking this down over time and talking about it in very scientific settings. And other, other notable doctors like Dr. Jane Ruby um, and other have been bringing this information out from the experts and the scientists that have been evaluating this. But now we're seeing it all around the world. We're seeing people widely stick their toe in and say, yeah, I've been seeing it. I was afraid to talk about it because I didn't want to be one of those people that, you know, basically was talking about something that could have been a conspiracy theory. Reality is it's not. Virtually everybody, and this is the real science that we know, virtually everybody that's taken the real jab, and that's the question. You've taken the real jab because we know that they were changing the lots and what was in the lots different times. Um, but if you've taken that, virtually everybody's throwing microclots. Microclots um, can become macroclots. Also, there's a lot of different things in these, these um, genetic modification shots that shouldn't be in humans, right? But if you put something in there that can create clots in multiple different ways, you have a serious problem, Houston, because that's why we're seeing so many conditions. What did a federal judge force the FDA at the end of 2021 to do in April of 2022? They were trying to push out the information for 75 years, like the Kennedy assassination, about what they knew. Federal judge said no. 
You're going to begin in April of 2022 saying what you know. What did we learn in that that um, first dump? We learned that there were over 1,300 conditions that these jabs caused that they wouldn't tell anybody about. Why? Because it's a, under a military operation and they didn't have to because they would escape that. So on the blank insert pages, they didn't tell you these things could cause over 1,300 conditions, one of which is blood clotting, cardio. Now, what's the shot around the world? Myocarditis, right? That's a whole other story, but it's just one of the 1,300 conditions. But back to the blood clotting. So there are multiple mechanisms that can cause the blood clotting. An example is red blood cells have a negative charge. And so they repel each other and they're running through your system at high speed. Um, capillaries are four microns, red blood cells are two. There's plenty of room to get through and they're zipping right along. But if you change that charge, just to give you an example, they can become, they can begin to stick together and create a condition called roulette. Roulette is, and it can be caused by multiple um, actions, but given that one, um, what could create that? Well, we now know that graphene oxide that they tried to lie about is in these jabs. Graphene by itself is a toxin to the human body, should not be in the human body, but it also has the ability to affect the charge of a red blood cell based on the data that I've learned and studied along the way. So now, as opposed to being diametrically um, pushing and not sticking together, now they can stick together like what? A magnet. What were people saying in the early days and they were sticking things all over their body and saying, I got, I got things sticking to my body, I don't know why. Hmm, could that have been the graphene oxide piece that they tried to lie about and wouldn't tell people about from the very beginning? <clears throat> Again, we know so much more now than we knew in the very beginning and that's only a tiny piece of the puzzle. But these things cause clotting in multiple different ways, not just one. And they also cause a condition called VADES um, which is similar to AIDS, only it takes down your system faster, like AIDS, because it damages the immune system in multiple different ways. It also causes a thing called turbo cancer. It can turn off a, what's called the P53 gene, which is a sensing mechanism for cancer. Now we're seeing rarefied cancers pop out in people. They never had cancer before, now they've got this aggressive cancer. They were in remission, now it's out of remission. Um, we're seeing, you know, that all around the world and the, the uh, cardiologists are speaking about it that are willing to put their reputations and their livelihood on the line because they're all being threatened to not tell the truth. Wow. I cannot believe that we have, that we're coming up at the, uh, to our hour. Um, how can people connect with you? For the people that have a medical exemption need and need the kind of expertise that our attorneys and doctors can bring to the table, you can reach out to our frontline health advocates and that can be at our, the phone number for that is 760-851-9685. And that gets you into this system where then we can begin to um, uh, connect with you and find out about your situation and how we may be able to help you in that regard. Our Guardians of Humanities Children is a different mission and that's guardiansofhumanitieschildren.org and that's all about protecting our future generation. So what we didn't get into and there's so much to but these things can actually change and affect your future genome and cause sterility and more and worse. And so we're all about protecting our children from these COVID jabs and other. Recognize there's probably over 200 of these COVID jabs 
um, and messenger RNA technology type things in the pharma pipeline that they want to launch. The newest one they just launched is a bivalent, which is a mix of two, because they had so many, nobody could ever figure out what they were doing. So they tried to simplify it, but this is even less testing, more dangerous based on what we're learning, um, but shouldn't be in humans, right? We shouldn't have things that have self-assembling nanotech in them in humans. Um, and so, um, the Guardian's mission is all about protecting our children. It's guardiansofhumanitieschildren.org. I appreciate that. And, you know, I'd love to have you back on because we I think we've just basically touched the surface. Uh, you're doing amazing work. You're you're touching a lot of lives. So uh, I, I, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me here at uh, our show today. So thanks again. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, Randy, I believe that our meeting was was meant to be, and I thank you so much for, for the, the time today. Thank, thank you. you, Bill Lionberger. Before we go, I would like you to go to thewoundedblue.org. This is my ask of you. We need your support. That means we need your dollars. We are a nationwide charity. We've helped more than 15,000 law enforcement officers in the last four and a half years. That's an amazing number. We cannot do it without you. If it, you can do $10 a month, that's fantastic. If you can do $25,000, do that. We need your help. Go to thewoundedblue.org and hit that donate button. You're soon going to see a whole new uh, website coming out. And also, if you are a law enforcement officer and you're struggling, the Wounded Blue exists for you. We have an amazing peer advocate support team. Everybody on the team uh, has been a law enforcement officer or the spouse of a law enforcement officer because we provide spousal support as well. You don't need to take this journey alone if you've been injured either physically or emotionally and psychologically. Go to thewoundedblue.org. Find us on Facebook. You can find me, Randy Sutton. And if you want to contact me directly, I'm Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Thanks for joining me here at the Wounded Blue Hour. We'll see you again next week.